Welcome to Madam's Hoes and Gigolos, a podcast about the history of sex work and historical events surrounding sexual revolutions. And in this episode, we're going to change it up a bit and discuss a scandal. I'm your host, Heather, and with me is my friend, Connor. Together, we've created a bi-weekly podcast discussing all topics in regards to history and sex. And today, we've got a very heavy topic regarding a very historically significant family and a major sex scandal. But before we jump into that, uh, I want to say that we're very excited to see how this podcast has grown. We we see you guys and uh, and the the downloads and uh, and the streams, and we're always excited to hear from the listeners. We're getting great feedback from people on uh, on Instagram, and we've seen some awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we really do appreciate that. It means a lot. You're not only uh, listening, but the, you take the time to leave a review like that. So that that helps us immensely. What kind of messages are we getting through Instagram, Heather? Well, we've gotten lots of compliments that we're finding our routine, which, yay. And we're getting a lot of topic suggestions and a lot of positive vibes. And um, we're getting a lot of just, you know, how can I help? How can I contribute? And so we've decided to create an Amazon wish list strictly for the podcast. And we're basically going to put on the Amazon wish list. We're going to put stuff we need for the podcast, like books about topics we like to research and if you see something you're interested in then you can go to the amazon and send us the book and make sure to put your name because we want to properly thank you if you send us the material and we'll definitely give you a shout out on the show but if there's ways you wanted to contribute as we're building and we're growing we'll definitely have an amazon wish list and it's strictly stuff for the podcast it's not anything like oh i like this dress buy it for me it's just for the podcast yeah that's that's a that's a cool way for people to suggest things to us and uh, and be able to contribute and cool that people are saying that uh, we're kind of finding our routine what's funny is that we actually went to high school together how long now has it been like 24 25 years ago but we didn't actually know each other in high school no you were you're younger than me yeah, and I had heard your name, and obviously I was at your graduation when you were the featured speaker. I was! Oh, did you know that I almost didn't graduate high school? No, how did you end up being the speaker at graduation then? Oh my god, you know what's funny is I wrote that speech and won that contest, and I literally wrote it in one class period, and there were all these other people who came to this, because it was a contest, uh-huh. and these people came to the contest, and they were on the honor roll, and they were definitely academics and I just came in with my speech I wrote in like 45 minutes and somehow got it and got the spot with a valedictorian to deliver a speech at the first graduating class for our school. Yeah you know I tried out to I was in the second graduating class and I actually wrote this whole speech and I went in and did like this audition process and this was 1998 so like the movie Titanic just came out and because we're the Valencia Vikings the name of these uh first classes when the school opened up was like the maiden voyage and so I made all these analogies between the Titanic and our maiden voyage and how they ultimately didn't make it but you know we did and I I guess they didn't like it because I wasn't selected oh my god now Celine Dion's playing in my head yeah sorry about that (laughs) it's okay but here we are now 20 25 years later Mm -hmm. and now we're working together on this podcast yeah funny how we connected leading up to our 20-year high school reunion, and now we're working together. Today's topic is somewhat heavy, but it's very relevant. It's definitely very heavy. I felt like I needed to sage my myself after reading everything. It was definitely heavy. <laughs> what, what's, when you sage yourself, is that like a spiritual 
Yeah, it's supposed to block out negative energy, get rid of the negative energy. And I feel like anything with this topic is just negative and gross. And yeah. Okay. Well, what are we talking about today, Heather? Today, we're talking about the prince and the pedophile. Right. To be clear, it sounds like one person who is a prince and a pedophile. We're talking about two different people. We are talking about Prince Andrew, uh-huh. and we are talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Right. People who clearly knew each other and had a relationship, whether people want that information to get out or not. Whether Buckingham Palace wants that information to get out. So it's fitting right now because Meghan Markle just did that interview, and they're using her as a scapegoat to distract from Prince Andrew and his scandal. And we're going to discuss it. Let's dive right into it. Let's go. Meghan Markle, who's the Duchess of Sussex, and Prince Harry gave an interview to Oprah Winfrey just last month, quote, spilling the tea, as they say in England, about how the palace treated her. Over 17 million people tuned in as Meghan spoke openly about her struggles with her mental health, with being denied access to help, and how the tabloids would spin stories making her out to be the villain. She discussed how the royal family had concerns about Archie's skin color. The royal family didn't want to give Archie a title and the security that comes with it. And after stepping down, the couple's security was revoked. The lack of family support is what spurred their move. Coincidentally, the Times of London reported on Meghan Markle's alleged bullying at Kensington Palace, though their timing there is suspect. From the very beginning of her relationship with Harry, sensationalism and a bit of elitism had found its way into press coverage of Meghan. The headlines like, Harry's girl is almost straight out of Compton, which was an actual headline from the Daily Mail in 2016. Megan was often cast as a villain, oftentimes being compared to the beloved Kate. After they were married, the UK tabloids circulated a story that in the days before her wedding to Prince Harry, Megan had did something to make Kate cry. When Oprah asked about this, Megan said, no, actually the reverse is what happened. It's suspected that Kate Middleton's mother had leaked the story about Meghan because two months after the story actually leaked, she gave an exclusive interview to Camilla Tomini, who is the associate editor for The Telegraph. That's a prominent conservative publication in the UK. In 2019, there were rumbles about Prince William having an affair with Rose Hanbury, but the story never got traction in the UK. Was this part of the protection that Meghan described in her interview? Comparing headlines, I certainly could see that there was a bias towards Kate. I read an article, why is Megan always holding Harry's hand or why is she always touching her pregnant belly? And this article from the UK wrote that a body language expert said these are traits of controlling Harry. Piers Morgan desecrated her any chance he got. However, I think it was more because his ego was damaged for being slighted by Megan. They met once for drinks and she chose not to continue to associate with him. Ironically enough, Piers has been finally called out for his deplorable behavior towards Megan and he has left his show, Good Morning Britain. So there were claims of, quote, Hurricane Megan and how she tortured her staff by sending multiple texts a day and waking up at 5 a.m., seemingly causing a stampede of aides to leave Kensington Palace. Followed soon by reports that Megan's alleged behavior led to, quote, unease with Kate Middleton. These claims came from anonymous sources. The publication put the anonymous source in quotation marks. So you think maybe the publications knew who they were getting their information from? I think they weren't getting information. It was kind of, oh, let me throw these quotation marks in there and say that this is happening because journalism. 
Now that Megan and Harry live in another continent, they own their own home, they have their own staff, and they step down from all their positions as senior members of the royal family. There are unresolved questions of who was wrong behind the walls of Kensington Palace, but they all seem kind of irrelevant at this point. Nevertheless, Buckingham Palace announced a plan to, quote, look into the circumstances outlined in the article. The article meaning of Megan bullying people years ago. Right, we're going to look into the source of, you know, where this supposedly came from. Yes. We took this opportunity to research the royal scandal, and the royal family is trying to bury information about this. What we're talking about here is a relationship between Jeffrey Epstein and the Queen's favorite son, Prince Andrew. And we learned that people in glass castles shouldn't throw stones. Information was gathered for this podcast from the book Prince Andrew, Epstein, and the Palace by Nigel Cawthorn and cross-referenced with the other news media outlets. Trigger warnings, sexual assault, sex trafficking, Jeffrey Epstein, pedophilia. Prince Andrew, Duke of York, the third child of four children and the eighth in line for the throne. Now, I'll admit that I don't know much about the royal family or how any of that works. I understand that there's like Prince Charles and Prince this and Prince that. And in my mind, that means that they're all going to become a king when their parents die or something like that. Like, I don't fully understand the deal with how that works. But you're saying that he is eighth in line. What does that mean in line? Is that like how we have like a president and a vice president? And if they both die, then the speaker of the house becomes the interim president. Is that the deal? Pretty much. But with the hierarchy, it would go Charles, William, Prince George, which is William's oldest son, then Princess Charlotte, which is his daughter, William's daughter, then Prince Louis, or is it Louis? I don't I don't know because I'm not too familiar, which is the youngest son of Prince William. Then it goes Prince Harry. Then it would go Archie, who's higher than Prince Andrew, and then Prince Andrew. Wow. Okay. So Prince William and like all of his kids are in line above even Prince Harry. That's why People are saying Harry felt comfortable leaving the royal family because he was he's probably never going to. Right. He'll get probably there. never get to the throne. And it, it's also been said that the second child, they don't usually get the, the throne. So they're more relaxed. And that's Prince Harry. He was more of the wild child than it was to William. And then that dynamic with Charles and um, Prince Andrew, because even the two boys being raised were dramatically different, and it's created tension between the two of them. Wow. Okay, so Prince Andrew is like eighth in line. He's He's got no shot, but None. somehow he's still like very much the favorite. He and was very raised, protected. he was the favorite growing up because Prince Charles was groomed to be king, so he was raised to a different standard than Prince Andrew. Was Prince Andrew ever uh, a popular guy? The Playboy Prince, they used to call him in the 90s after his divorce from Sarah Ferguson. Before the marriage, pretty much at the age of 18, he was known as Randy Andy. I'm not going to dissect Prince Andrew's personality or what he was like growing up as a prince. He is the prince and he had no problem letting people know his status or abusing the perks that came with his status. He was the obvious favorite of the king and queen and a mummy's boy, given the inflated views of himself. Charles was raised differently than Prince Andrew because he was the expected heir of the throne. There has been tension between the two brothers for years. Prince Charles and Prince Andrew are brothers. Yes. Okay. See, I never know. I, I, I remember hearing my parents talk about Sarah Ferguson, a.k.a. Fergie, and Princess Diana and Prince Charles and all these different people. And I don't know who are the good guys or the bad guys, which are the ones that are popular, which are the ones that we don't like. But I think we're going to make it clear today who is an obvious 
villain who everyone likes. Well, I feel like I wasn't really following the royals until this hit, but I feel like we don't like anybody but Harry and Meghan at this point. Yeah. That's going to be my vote. Although in the UK, they're not as popular. They're not as popular in the UK. Right. So we were talking about Prince Andrew, and you said his name after he turned 18 was Randy Andy. That's pretty much what they called him as a teenager. The word Randy, I know, again, from Austin Powers, because he's like, do I make you horny, baby? Do I make you Randy? And so Randy is basically like uh, an old English word for horny, right? It basically comes from, from Rand. It's aroused or excited. So 40 years ago, in 1981, Prince Andrew actually had a serious relationship with an adult softcore porn actress named Koo Starks. And you think that that would kind of be a big scandal and blow up the uh, the royal family, and it did not. Surprisingly, the queen was, quote, very much taken with the elegant, intelligent, and discreet coup. So it's funny how right off the bat, they're kind of willing to look the other way and, like, this guy can do no wrong. And I should add, for reference, coup is a, an American actress. Okay. Just like Meghan Markle was an American actress. Good, good uh, similarity there to, to draw. So by 2001... He's no longer in the Navy, and he's making his rounds as a trade envoy promoting British businesses and trade interests abroad. He didn't seem that interested in the steel industry, but instead he frolicked around the world attending parties like Heidi Klum's Halloween party in New York, where the theme was kinky sex. Uh, another famous attendee was Ghislaine Maxwell, who we all know from uh, the Jeffrey Epstein story, and we'll learn more about her in a little bit. Uh, he was all over. He was in beaches uh, in Thailand with bikini beauties and three-day flirtations with a Playboy pinup here in Los Angeles. So it sounds like he was using this trade envoy job he got with the castle as just a guise for him to just frolic around the world and be a little Playboy. Yeah. So I'm not going to deep dive into Epstein's life, but I will focus on the crime because seriously, fuck that guy. He was a teacher before becoming an investment banker at Bear Stearns. It was said by Scott Spencer in the New York Times that he was more present for female students. In 1976, he was fired. Can you imagine that guy being your teacher? Yeah, well, 1976 was a long time ago. He was a little bit younger. Still way too old to be hooking up with high school students. That's just creepy. Yeah. He lost his job at Bear Stearns in 1981 for insider trading. Then he took up controversial clients. One, for example, Saudi arms dealer Adnan Kasagi. Together, they pulled off global arms deals that included selling AWOCs, which is airborne warning and controlling system planes. And according to the Defense Intelligence Agency, Khashoggi was one of the biggest drug traffickers in the 1980s and 90s. That's unreal. It's crazy to me that some of these people, it's not like they just got involved in like one bad thing, but they're like literally supervillains like you'd see in a movie who's like an arms dealer and a drug dealer and like a sex offender It's not just one thing. It's always like a really, really bad dude. Right. You're the worst of the worst, like the bottom barrel of human beings, but yet you're still powerful and people still look up to you. It's disgusting. Yeah. Epstein also worked for the CIA and often bragged he was an agent. He wasn't an agent, but he did have connections. Epstein also bragged that he was friends with the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, who was the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia at the time. And the man, according to the CIA, who was responsible for the brutal 2008 assassination of pundit Jamal Khashoggi, who, it turns out, was the nephew of the Saudi arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi. So Jamal Khashoggi 
was a Saudi Arabian journalist. He was a dissident, an author, columnist for the Washington Post. He was also the general manager and the editor-in-chief of the Al Arab News Channel. And he was assassinated at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul on October 2nd, 2018 by the agents of the Saudi government. Two days before Trump was elected in 2016, Jeffrey Epstein flew out to Riyadh, which is the capital of Saudi Arabia, and he actually returned on the day of the election. It's unclear as to why, but Mohammed bin Salman was actually desperate to buy technology for a nuclear bomb, and Trump was interested in operating hotels in Saudi Arabia. So it seemed like kind of a tit-for-tat kind of arrangement, and Epstein was the one in charge of making that connection. Right, the middleman saying, okay, well, you want this, and he wants this, and this man's going to possibly be in power. We didn't really know until the next day, but kind of almost like opening the door for this to happen between the two, Trump and Mohammed bin Salman. Trump was elected, and three weeks later, Jared Kushner had met with MBS's right-hand man, Khalid Afali, in New York. Right. MBS is Mohammed bin Salman, who we discussed earlier. Yes. After the brutal assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, Trump disputed the CIA's assessment and expressed support for MBS and stated that the investigation into Khashoggi's death should be continued. Right. So we're getting a little bit off topic here by talking about somebody who's a friend of a friend of a friend, uh, getting further from the royal family. But I think one important thing to note now is that you can tell a lot about a person by the people that they associate themselves with. And at this point, it kind of all comes back to Jeffrey Epstein and his dealings with some very bad people. And what are things that Jeffrey Epstein was known for and guilty of? So the act of sex is not a crime with a consenting adult, but having sex with an underage person is a crime. And Epstein would have pictures or videos of people of power having sex with these underage girls and use them as blackmail. So he was friends with a lot of really powerful people and he would kind of set them up with underage girls. And was he secretly taking pictures of them or he they were just happy to be photographed? He was secretly taking pictures with video cameras around his house, the security system, and had video of them. And going back to last week's episode, Connor, what is that called? Oh, uh, sexpionage. Yeah, the sexpionage. What technique did we learn in the sexpionage episode is Epstein using now? Right, so he would have very compromising photos then of very high-profile political people and use that for his own power. Yes. What, what was the technique called? You, you don't remember. Honey dick, honey dick. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so Epstein was setting up these honeypots for these high profile people, but it never seemed like he was making enemies with them. Like, I don't know if he ever had to use that blackmail because he seemed to be very chummy with these people. It seemed to be, but I feel like these people were trying to keep him in his good graces. I mean, Les Wexmore gave him a $13 million mansion in New York. And why would somebody, Les Wexmore was the founder of the Limited and Victoria's Secret and great clothing lines like that, gifts this $13 million mansion to Epstein. Why did Epstein have information on Lexmore? Why would you give Epstein a $13 million mansion in New York? I don't know. I guess we don't know. Right. So it's almost like were these people trying to buy his silence because he set them up in a trap and why is he getting these things? Why are these people his friends? If someone wanted to set me up like that, I wouldn't 
consider him a friend, but, you know, these people were obviously people of power afraid of the repercussions. Sure, yeah, you don't want anything to get out. So bringing it back to the royal family, Prince Andrew was kind of a playboy about 20 years ago, and he was flying all over town, hanging out at parties, and he was friends with Gillian Maxwell, who's the daughter of disgraced media mogul Robert Maxwell. She was an undergrad at Oxford University, and she became a constant presence at all kinds of London parties and social events. The earliest evidence of a connection between Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein comes through Prince Andrew's ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson. According to Epstein's logbook, he had flown to the same location to meet the prince's ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson, in 1998. Sarah Ferguson is also known as Fergie, and so uh, you might hear us referring to her as Sarah or as Fergie. Not to be confused as Fergie the singer. Right, that is Stacy Ferguson. But yeah, both Ferguson's known as uh, Fergie for short. Who ironically sings that song that goes, London, 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 London. Oh yeah, London Bridge. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you know that one. Of course I do. Because it sounded like Holla Back Girl to me. I mean, that was the time, right? Yeah. Now Holla Back Girl's in my head. So, okay. Sarah and Prince Andrew divorce. Ghislaine is partying at social circus. I like to call them circuses. Circles. Meet Sarah and they become friends. Ghislaine introduces Sarah to Epstein. Sarah introduces Prince Andrew to Epstein. And they become friends. Crazy. According to flight logs obtained by the Daily Mirror... February 1999, Prince Andrew went for a multiple-day visit to Epstein's private island, Little St. James, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Prince Andrew reportedly flew with Epstein on his private Gulfstream jet. The trio, Epstein, Prince Andrew, and Ghislaine, were photographed several times together in 2000, including at the Royal Ascot horse races, royal birthday parties, and Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach. How about that? There was a photo leaked in 2020 of Ghislaine Maxwell and Kevin Spacey together in 2002, and it was them breaking the royal protocol and sitting on the king and queen's throne. Now, that throne represents a symbol of the monarch authority, and nobody has the right to sit in it. Like, no guests of the palace can be there, and it's actually seen as a major sign of disrespect towards the queen. However, Prince Andrew felt comfortable enough to invite Ghislaine and Kevin into the throne room, allowing them to breach protocol and take pictures. He had his daughters refer to Epstein as Uncle Jeff, and it's safe to say that they were pretty close friends. So I like I want to paint that picture of them being close friends because as time goes on, he distanced his, himself from Epstein, which, you know, is completely normal after someone gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I want to paint this picture of they were good friends, that he was breaching royal protocol and letting Ghislaine and Kevin Spacey sit on these thrones, his daughters were calling him Uncle Jeff. I mean, there was a substantial relationship there. Right. So in 2005, allegations against Jeffrey Epstein started surfacing. Parents of a 14-year-old girl told police in Florida that Epstein had molested their daughter at his Palm Beach home. Palm Beach assigned six detectives to investigate, interviewing other victims, and in May 2006, Epstein was charged with multiple counts of unlawful sex with a minor. It makes me sick to even hear about this because I know where this story goes. Like I've seen the documentaries and I've read about this and I'm actually watching another special on HBO right now about Woody Allen. And that sucks because I'm actually a fan of his work 
And to see evidence like this and know about investigations and how they can be shut down by people in power is really frightening. Okay, so I'm going to blow your mind. Let's hear it. Woody Allen was actually neighbors with Jeffrey Epstein. No way. Mm-hmm. Are they friends? Yeah. Yeah. He attended some parties. Ugh. Mm-hmm. How can that be? Mm-hmm. We'll get into that. Okay. But that didn't stop Epstein from partying with the royals a few weeks after he was charged. Jeffrey Epstein was invited to the mass ball at Windsor Castle to celebrate the 18th birthday of Princess Beatrice, Prince Andrew's elder daughter. Epstein came dressed as a Navy SEAL. Epstein never served in the military and was certainly never a Navy SEAL. In the picture, Jeffrey Epstein can be seen standing next to Harvey Weinstein wearing a Navy commander uniform, which is usually reserved for formal occasions. Wow, even Weinstein's in on this? Yeah, there were allegations against Weinstein, too. Yeah, well, Weinstein was convicted, right? I think he is in jail, and he's complaining about the conditions, just like Ghislaine is complaining of the conditions of her jail. Yeah, okay. The uniform he wears also belongs specifically to members of the actual Navy, and the uniform bore the Navy SEAL Trident. A picture of this is on Google, where he's standing next to Ghislaine and Harvey Weinstein. So this is considered stolen valor, too, because he wasn't in the military, and here he is wearing a full military uniform. Yeah, well, it was a costume party, so I don't know that it counts as uh, stolen valor, because he was never claiming to be in the military, right? Well, it was a themed party, so I wouldn't necessarily say costume, but the theme was 1888 fashion. Right. So the guests were to dress up in 1888 fashion because it was an 18th birthday party. But the Navy SEALs didn't even form until 1962. So this is in, in even following the, the protocol or the theme of the party. It's Epstein just doing what he wants. And I feel like it's still stolen valor because he's wearing those medals. He's wearing that uniform. That is an official Navy SEAL uniform. That is not a costume. Yeah, I don't know. If Tom Cruise was wearing that in the movie. You mean like in Top Gun? Yeah. I still think that's a costume. We don't call that stolen valor. We just call that like a good costume. But I mean, those have the Navy insignias on it, the Trident. And so that makes it official. Like those costumes in Hollywood don't have that official. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things to hate about this guy. This isn't going to be one of them? Not for me. You're going to hate more on... You're going to hate... I mean, I get it. I get it. But... To me, it's just all problematic. He's sure. all problematic. There's nothing. There's. Ugh. Ugh. But anyways, Prince Andrew put him on the list to this party. Mind you, one month after he was being investigated yeah. or arrested. Right. Well, allegations had surfaced. We're actually looking right now at this picture of Harvey Weinstein with Jeffrey Epstein and Gillian Maxwell. This picture you're saying was from actually a party that Prince Andrew invited them all to? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I just say, by looking at this, I want to punch them all in the fucking face. Okay. I would let you. <laughs> I don't think anybody could stop me. Okay. Okay. Next time you see them. So at this time, Jeffrey Epstein was being investigated by the police department in West Palm Beach, but he had a really powerful defense team. Now, Palm Beach had found out the details of their case had been leaked and handed over to the FBI. This put the case in United States Attorney Alex Acosta's hand, 
and they drew up a 53-page indictment on Jeffrey Epstein. Acosta had a secret meeting with Epstein's attorney over breakfast, and they agreed that Epstein would take a plea deal for procuring a person under 18 for prostitution, and he'd have to register as a sex offender. Any co-conspirators would be immune to charges as well, and that deal was brokered without the consent of any of their victims, of which there were many. Now, Epstein's lawyer argued that he had no idea of their ages, and this was even though his house manager and others said that they had many young girls around the house, and Epstein would receive up to three massages a day. Another employee said that he had delivered a dozen red roses to a girl at her high school. So they must have known at some point that many of these women were underage. I mean, you would suspect it, especially since once women hit their early 20s, Epstein would shoo them away and say they were too old. But for some reason, he, not for some reason, we know his motives of saying, oh, well, I didn't know their age. Right. So let's talk about this sweetheart deal he got. Okay. Epstein served almost 13 months before being released for a year of probation on house arrest until August of 2010. While on probation, he was allowed numerous trips on his corporate jet to his residence in Manhattan and the U.S. Virgin Islands. He was allowed long shopping trips and walks around Palm Beach for exercise. This is while he was on probation. Okay. Right. So he was free to come and go as he pleased. Now, how did he get such a, a sweet deal here? The sheriff's office received $128,000 from Epstein's nonprofit to pay for the cost and extra services being provided to him for his work release. His office was monitored by permit deputies whose overtime was paid by Epstein. They were required to wear suits and check in welcome guests at the front desk. Now, when we say they're required to wear suits, this just means that they don't look like armed police officers. They don't look like anything official. They just look like bodyguards that are there to protect him. Right. And they're permit deputies. I wonder if that's different than being sworn in. It's still a deputy. I mean, I guess you're right. Epstein's cell door was left unlocked, and he had access to the attorney room where there was a television installed for him. Epstein was instead housed in a private wing of the Palm Beach County stockade, and according to the sheriff's office, was after three and a half months allowed to leave the jail for the work release for 12 hours a day, six days a week. Epstein got off lightly after Acosta was told to, quote, back off because Epstein belonged to intelligence. At this time, the Iraq war was still going on, and Britain was the only member left of the U.S.-led coalition of the willing. The Bush administration could not afford to lose its only ally by dragging Prince Andrew into this mess. In 2017, President Trump announced in a press conference that he would nominate Acosta to fill the position of Secretary of Labor after the nomination of Andrew Puzder was withdrawn. On April 27, 2017, Acosta was confirmed as Secretary of Labor by the U.S. Senate in a 60-38 to 38 vote. But in 2019, Acosta proposed cutting the fundings of the Department International Labor Affairs Bureau from $68 million in 2018 to under $20 million in 2020. That agency combats human trafficking, including child sex trafficking, child labor, and forced labor internationally. Amid the criticism of mishandling and using poor judgment in the Epstein case, Acosta resigned as his role of Secretary of Labor effective July 19, 2019. That was the same year that he proposed all that. Okay. 
it's interesting to see how these layers are all stacking. It surprises me that these people are able to still get into really high positions. Well, I feel like there there's some kind of brokerage. Okay, you're going to take care of me here, and now I have this position to take care of you there. And then, you know, let's not forget his relationships with people in power. And Trump had a lot of power at that time. Even though Trump would distance himself later on, who knows what's happening? Right. Well, Epstein was in a very unique position in that he was friends with the Clintons. He was friends with the Trumps. And regardless of who won the 2016 election, I think he was going to... He benefited. Be in a good place. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, I didn't even think of that, but that's why you're here. Yeah. You're the better half of my brain. No, please. A judge ruled that the United States indeed broke the law by leading Epstein's victims to believe that the federal prosecution was still a possibility. His victims were told to be patient as Epstein and his conspirators transported victims between states and internationally for the purpose of sex. This was a violation of the 1910 Mann Act. Do you remember where we've heard that before? Yeah, so the Mann Act, which we discussed in our last episode about sex espionage, is what made it a felony to engage in interstate or foreign commerce, which transported any woman or girl for the purposes of prostitution or any, quote, immoral purpose. Exactly. It's funny how last episode is trickling into this episode. Mm -hmm. After Epstein's arrest and conviction in 2008, most people kept Epstein at an arm's length. However, Prince Andrew was a guest of honor at Epstein's welcome home party in Manhattan. This is when the 2010 photo of Prince Andrew and Epstein walking around Central Park was taken. A Vanity Fair article in 2011 reported that an unidentified friend told Prince Andrew that he cannot have a relationship with Jeffrey. The prince replied, stop giving me a hard time. You're such a Puritan. And from there, the conversation turned into a screaming match with Andrew saying, leave Jeffrey alone. The queen mother continues to show her loyalty to her son, doting on him and making excuses. Wow. Are you absorbing all of this? Yeah. During this time, darting around the world as the UK trade envoy, Prince Andrew would stop off to see Epstein at his various homes. I like to add here that security guards accompanied Prince Andrew wherever he went, which was including Epstein's property. So British taxpayers were paying for the security of the prince so he could jet across the countries with a pedophile. Even Prince George has two security guards that accompany him when he goes to preschool. However, the royals weren't going to give Archie security. Archie is... Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's son? Yes. And higher in hierarchy. I'm going to add that every time. Really? He's higher in hierarchy than Andrew is. Yeah, I, f I forget that uh, Andrew is kind of like at the bottom of that list. I yeah. mean, I'm sure there's people below him too. And Meghan Markle's pregnant again, so that child will be after Archie. Is she? Yeah. She's having a girl. That's great. Good for them. Yeah. Epstein was trying to rebuild his reputation. He started making friends with scientists and some of them Nobel Peace Prize winners. Stephen Hawking visited Epstein's little St. James. No way. Yep. Not Stephen Hawking. He wasn't involved in... Not everybody who went to the island is guilty of pedophilia. Okay. So not everybody who went partaked in these crimes. It's just hard to say who and what, but from what I'm hearing... Ghislaine is talking. 
Yeah, well, I hope that we don't hear anything bad about Stephen Hawking. I I hope so, too. I really do. I mean, I remember being heartbroken when I heard Tom Hanks and and Rita Wilson went there. I was like, no, not the beloved Tom Hanks. Okay, but they're not involved in any of that. No, they're not involved, but they did go to the island. Okay. Epstein had plans to improve human evolution using exclusively his sperm. He planned a baby farm where he could impregnate some 20 women, and when he died, he wanted his head and his penis preserved cryogenically. He had plans to build his own high-end sperm bank, just like the repository for germinal choice in Escondido, California. What an ego on this guy. It sounds like he was trying to create a cult. Yeah, but like, why was he like the superhuman that we would use for tomorrow's civilization? I mean, this just shows what an egomaniac Epstein was. Yeah. So the repository of germinal choice is actually a sperm bank for Nobel Peace Prize winners. Oh, so I wonder if he was hanging out with these uh, scientists and Nobel Prize winners thinking that like maybe he can get himself into that. Who knows? But this this logic is so crazy. He had a new circle of high power friends, and it seemed that the world had forgotten of his past indiscretions. Meanwhile, since federal charges were not pursued, the victims began filing civil suits. Epstein would only answer the most trivial questions and would cite the Fifth Amendment. And we see this in the documentary. Mm-hmm. The, the Fifth Amendment is basically your right to not self-incriminate. So if, if answering that question would get you in trouble, you could just say, I invoke the Fifth Amendment, which means I know something, but telling you would not be in my interest and therefore I'm not going to say anything. So saying that makes you look guilty, but you need to be proven guilty in a court of law to be imprisoned. Oh, wow. So these civil suits were settled for undisclosed sums of money. Two of the victims sued the U.S. government for failing to notify them of that plea deal, which violated the 2004 U.S. Crime Victims' Rights Act. It's in this lawsuit where we learn of Prince Andrew's involvement with Epstein because of his victim, Virginia Gouffre, who came forward. On July 6, 2019, federal agents waiting on the tarmac of a New Jersey airport arrested Jeffrey Epstein when his private jet, the Lolita Express, landed. So creepy fact about the Lolita Express. It was named after the novel Lolita, which is about a middle-aged literature professor who is obsessed with a 12-year-old girl and has a sexual relationship with her after becoming her stepfather. That's where he named his jet from? where he got the name for his jet. It's almost like this is hidden in plain sight. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things where the clues are out there, but we don't put the pieces together. Not that we don't put the pieces together. It's just he he's untouchable. Like he's sending this these these clues and he knows he's not going to be touched. It's it's almost like that's the message I get. So Virginia Gouffre was the victim of Prince Andrew. She actually waived her right to anonymity in her court case just so she would be able to tell of the abuse that she had suffered. Virginia was 15 years old when she met Ghislaine Maxwell, and she was working as a spa attendant at the Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago Club. Gouffre said in a deposition that she was groomed by Ghislaine to be a, quote, sex slave for Epstein and prominent, powerful businessmen and politicians. Maxwell called Gouffre a liar in her 2015 deposition. Gouffre sued Maxwell for defamation, and they settled at a court for millions. 
When Virginia met Epstein, it was under the guise of learning how to do massage therapy. Her father went with her to the house to meet him and said he seemed like a regular guy. Her father left, and this is when the first assault took place. Epstein paid her $200 and gave her a ride home. She never told anybody this was happening because she had been assaulted before, and when she spoke out, it only caused trouble. Virginia had met Prince Andrew just before her 18th birthday. They went out dancing, and yes, security was with the prince. She said he was a horrendous dancer and grabbing her hips and pouring with perspiration. She said when they got back to Ghislaine's townhome, he started groping her. He wasn't her type, but she was trained to not show emotion. He started licking her toes. Another encounter in Florida on Easter weekend and again in New York. Virginia was finally able to escape Epstein. She persuaded him to let her go to Thailand to learn proper massage training. Epstein agreed on the condition that she bring back a Thai girl. She met her now husband. They eloped in Australia and she's lived there in peace until the FBI and Australian Federal Police contacted her in 2007. After Virginia had named Prince Andrew in her lawsuit, the prince in the palace tried to ignore the scandal. The queen showed her support for her son by sitting alongside him in a Rolls Royce headed to Sunday services. They issued an official statement. The Duke of York is appalled by the recent reports of Jeffrey Epstein's alleged crimes. His Royal Highness deplore the exploitations of any human being and the suggestion he would condone, participate in, or encourage any such behavior is abhorrent. Well, after a week of scrutinizing the media, the palace issued a second statement, which was out of the ordinary for the palace. The prince severely downplayed his relationship with Epstein, and he basically only intensified the cloud of questioning around him. There was proof of a friendship outside a couple of visits, and proof of them being friends much longer than he had claimed. A YouGov poll in January 2020 reported 45% of respondents had a negative opinion of the prince. 17% had a positive. The next poll, a month later, 80% of respondents disagreed with the queen's decision to celebrate her son's 60th birthday. When the prime minister sent out an email reminding local councils to fly the flag for the royal, there was an uproar in the council. The prince and the palace were now doing damage control. Buckingham Palace has signed off on a plan with BBC Newsnight for an interview. For six months, they had been putting it off, citing scheduling conflicts. Emily Matlis did an interview in the Queen's part of the palace, so it was obvious that they approved this. Ironically, this isn't the first time a scandal like this has happened. Prince Charles was friends with TV personality Jimmy Saville. Saville was exposed as a serial predator pedophile. Saville was allowed unannounced visits to Kensington Palace and had been invited to Charles's 40th birthday. Charles had even given him a box of Havana cigars from Fidel Castro with a note that said, nobody will ever know what you've done for this country, Jimmy. Charles even allowed sex offender Peter Ball, the Bishop of Luz, live on the property in Somerset to prevent a scandal. Wonder what they meant by that. By which? To prevent a scandal? Yeah, what kind of scandal was he preventing? I have no idea, but he's a sex offender living on government property. I would guess that would be a scandal in itself. Okay. Well, so far, I don't know why people like Prince Charles if he's involved with all these like. I don't think bad guys. people really like Prince Charles either. Oh, okay. The firm, which is the nickname for the monarchy, thought the Prince Andrew could charm people out of this media disaster. The interview is on YouTube, and you can watch it. It's entirely on there. 
Prince Andrew first said that he never met Virginia until a picture was published and Ghislaine in the background is there smiling. He then said that the photo was doctored. He refuted the picture of him and Virginia saying that the picture was taken upstairs in Ghislaine's home and he had never been upstairs in her home. He also said that he had a medical condition that prevents him from sweating just so he could discredit Virginia's comments about them dancing and him sweating. He claimed that he had an overdose of adrenaline in the Falcon War preventing him from sweating. Now this is a real medical condition called anhydrosis or hypohydrosis and it can either be congenital or it occurs during heat stroke when the body has no fluid to sweat. Another cause is skin damage caused by burns. Excessive levels of adrenaline would cause more sweating actually, not less. He said he had never been to the club Tramp. He doesn't drink. Witnesses have come forward saying that they saw them at the club multiple times and him drinking champagne. He took his daughter Beatrice out for Pizza Express for a party that day, so there's no way he could have been there. Keep in mind, this interview was nine years later. Right, so it's unlikely that he would know exactly what he was doing on which day. Right, exactly. He he might remember the day of his daughter's birthday or something. It wasn't her birthday. He was taking her to a party, and he said it was like four or five in the afternoon, which would still leave him plenty of time to go out to the club if he wanted to. Yeah. He was asked what he was doing at Epstein's New York townhouse in 2010, and he said that he was actually there to end the friendship that he didn't want to do it through a text or through an email or a phone call, but doing it face-to-face is the, quote, honorable thing to do. And he obviously didn't think it was good to remain friends with this disgraced billionaire. So Andrew stayed four days at Epstein's during this alleged breakup. In 2011, it was reported that Jeffrey Epstein had helped the Duchess, which is Sarah Ferguson, Mm -hmm avoid bankruptcy by paying off some of her debts. The payments were reportedly made after the intervention from the Duke of York. I didn't know that that was a thing, that anyone in the royal family could declare bankruptcy. Well, the Queen Mother was reported to be concerned about this, and she would have, Sarah would have been the first member to declare bankruptcy. So in order to avoid that, it was negotiated that Epstein would give her $19,000 as a bailout. So you're breaking up with your friend, but now he's going to give your ex-wife $19,000 to not disgrace your family by filing bankruptcy? That actually seems like pretty small potatoes. I wouldn't think that anyone in the royal family would go bankrupt over a matter of $19,000. Right. Like I checked this number a few times because I was like, $19,000 is so small. Compared to what other people have, like, really? $19,000 was almost going to bankrupt the Duchess? But apparently she owed her former assistant some money and Epstein bailed her out. So the prince denied this, but Sarah Ferguson admitted to have accepted the money from Epstein to help pay off her debts. So there's no way he could have gotten out of this one. So people actually asked Prince Andrew if he was aware of what was going on at Epstein's properties. And he replied, if you're someone like me, people behave suitably different. So basically think that he was putting himself in the same company as hopefully Stephen Hawking or Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, where he was just there to be friends and not involved in the the child sex ring. Right, that he was hiding this sinister side of himself and that he's completely innocent. When the FBI raided Epstein's property, 
they described portraits of naked young girls hanging on the walls. There was a huge painting of Ghislaine, six feet by six feet on a chair, legs spread open. But the prince had zero idea what was happening. Right, yeah, I don't know that I buy that. So, Matlis's thoughts here were with the victims, and many wanted answers and closure. That was not any of Andrew's concern, right? There was very little apology or remorse coming from Prince Andrew. In fact, after the interview, he had told Matlis that he was very pleased with himself. So I watched this interview because I was like, there's just no way. It's a shit show. I mean, it is a shit show. And he's so arrogant and pompous when he's discussing things. And it was it was a wild ride, Connor. It was a ride. So anyways, back on track. Virginia Gaffray's lawyers asked Prince Andrew for a statement and the FBI was investigating him. But Prince Andrew hid behind attorneys and said he would give a statement only if his lawyers advised. In January 2020, attorney of Southern District of New York, Jeffrey Berman, announced from the steps of Epstein's Upper East Side Mansion in New York that prosecutors and the FBI have repeatedly contacted the Duke of York's lawyers to follow up on previous pledges that he was willing to help any appropriate law enforcement agency. Lisa Bloom, an attorney for five of the victims, tried to serve Prince Andrew twice, once via the embassy in Washington, D.C., and another recorded delivery to Buckingham Palace. Both of these attempts were refused. Gloria Aldred, who is the attorney for another five victims, and also Lisa Bloom's mother, had an American school bus parked outside of Buckingham Palace with two pictures of the prince and a banner that says, if you see this man, please have him call the FBI to answer questions with the phone number. He has still not cooperated. Interesting enough, the United Kingdom is the only country that will extradite citizens to the U.S. No questions asked. This is a result of the Extradition Act of 2003. Any incoming U.S. extradition request is vetted by the Home Secretary and then sent to the Westminster Magistrates Court. The extradition judge will issue an arrest warrant without considering evidence to support the request. It doesn't matter if no British laws were broken. Technically, he didn't break any laws from the UK. Age of consent is 16. However, age of consent in the United States is 18, and these acts did occur on American soil. Right. He wasn't in the British Virgin Islands. He was in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is U.S. territory. And and in New York. Out. So he did commit a crime, even though in his mind he didn't because age of consent there, but... It's where the act is located. I don't even think he was thinking about it at the time that way. He's the prince. Of course he's not. Now, the Extradition Act of 2003 subjects the queen's beloved son to the same process as anybody else if things should come to a head. And if that were to happen, that would certainly tarnish the royal family's reputation. The prince could claim immunity and plead against potential extradition requests, claiming to be a government official or a member of the queen's household or the Britain's head of state or even both. This, however, isn't written explicitly into the act. The prince spoke out publicly about the allegations against him, and by doing this, he waived his right to protection as a witness, and therefore a request for immunity would probably not be granted. So basically, because of this act, we can request that he come over for questioning, and we don't need any evidence. We can just say, hey, this is the guy we want. Bring him here, right? In theory, I guess we could ask the UK to send anybody over, and he would not be immune to it. But we have not made that request, to my knowledge. We well, have not. The, the FBI has. They haven't made a formal request. 
Following the BBC Newsnight interview, the prince was lambasted for his arrogance, poor judgment, and lack of empathy. Catherine Mayer, co-founder of the Women's Equality Party, tweeted, Andrew has appeared to be too stupid to even pretend for concern. Yeah, or too arrogant to think that he was at all at risk. Well, there is one tendency about the whole non-sweating thing, and some people say sociopaths don't sweat. Is that real? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was researching when I fell down all these mini rabbit holes that sociopaths don't sweat. I didn't realize that it had any kind of physical effect on you. Well, I, I feel like when you don't have like emotions and you don't have empathy and you wouldn't have a natural human okay. biological reaction. Okay, I wasn't thinking only if tied to emotional stuff. I'm thinking like if you're in a sauna, would they sweat then? Oh, I would imagine so. Okay. I was thinking emotions. I'm a woman, I think, with emotions. Mm. Okay. People that worked for the palace started coming forward with their own stories and recollections of events that night with Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew had a reputation of being rude. Anybody below rank of inspector was forbidden to speak to him. He hated the fact that whoever came to the castle had to be recorded. An officer had given a deposition to Gouffray's attorney stating that everything that Gouffray said could be confirmed with Andrew's bodyguards that night. Everything must be written down and is held by the Human Resource Department and the Royal Protection Department of the Metropolitan Police. The former bodyguards have declined to comment and these records that could possibly exonerate the prince have not been made available by either the Metropolitan Police or the palace. The royal family's public diary, called the Court Circular, showed that on the morning of April 9th, 2001, Prince Andrew flew from London to New York and stayed with Epstein. That same day, Gouffray flew into an airport near New York on Epstein's jet. Scotland Yard wanted to go to Ghislaine's townhouse in London and forensically examine it, but they were told they were not allowed to pursue the investigation according to Virginia Gouffray. Is the palace protecting Andrew or is Andrew protecting Ghislaine? Hmm. Now, Ghislaine was arrested in July of 2020 and it's reported that Prince Andrew is still in contact with her either by email or by phone and if the world wasn't watching him, he'd at least attempt to visit. Her court date is July 12th, 2021, and a judge has ruled details of the case too sensational and impure for the public. So we're not even going to hear details because a judge has ruled too sensational and impure for the public. I'm sure we'll hear the details. There might not be cameras allowed in the room, though. I would be interested. I would be interested. But you would think that he would cease all contact with Ghislaine considering all the problematic behavior. He should. If he's distancing himself from her, there's no reason for them to stay in contact. Mm, yeah, but they're staying in contact, which is weird. Mm -hmm. After his interview, Prince Andrew's reputation just couldn't be saved. Businesses and charities began backing away from him. Prince Andrew stepped down from his public duties, no longer able to attend public events on the royal's behalf. By stepping down, this meant that he had to forfeit his £250,000 salary he received from public funds. However, the Queen is now giving him an allowance for an undisclosed amount. In 2020, he was seen wearing an 18-karat Apple watch, valued at £12,000, driving a £200,000 Bentley, and golfing in resorts in Saint-Tropez. Nobody is sure where he's getting this money. Is it from his 20,000-pound Navy pension, his mother, or shady business deals? Oh, and they canceled his 60th birthday. 
Yeah. Well, his 60th birthday party was about a year ago. It was February 19th of 2020. Uh So that was just as COVID was getting big, especially like in the UK. So they might have canceled it for that reason. But also that poll showed that most British citizens did not agree with the royal family's decision to keep protecting him. 80%. Right. So everything seems to be getting worse for Prince Andrew. So what does the palace do? Well, they leaked info about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle leaving. This was known as Megxit, and the palace knew about it, and Meghan confirmed it in her interview with Oprah that they were talking about it. This info was leaked just to divert the attention away from Andrew, and the news of Megxit was met with anger from the public and the press. So it's clear that the palace is protecting Prince Andrew. They're looking into accusations of bullying from Meghan Markle, who doesn't even live in their country anymore, but they're not going to look into Prince Andrew's accusations of pedophilia. Harry, who stated numerous times that he stepped back from his royal duties to protect his wife and baby from a toxic environment, had his honorary military titles stripped from him and is not even permitted to wear those uniforms after 10 years of military service and literally risking his life in Afghanistan. But Prince Andrew, who has been accused of pedophilia, remains under the Queen's protection and has not been stripped of his military titles. The prince, who is protecting his child, has been stripped of his military titles, while the prince, who has been accused of sexually assaulting a child, gets to retain his titles. Disclaimer, I know I said I didn't want to get into Epstein. However, I wanted to bring awareness to mention the people fighting for the victims, the victims standing courageously fighting for themselves, and the assholes trying to protect Epstein and Epstein-adjacent participants. Looking at you, royal family. Here we're going to discuss the mysterious death of Epstein. So if you're not interested in this topic, I'd probably stop the podcast here. On August 9th, 2019, the documents of the Gouffre-Maxwell defamation case were unsealed. Jeffrey Epstein was found dead with a sheet tied around his neck and the other end tied to the top of his bunk. The circumstances around his death are very suspect. His cellmate has been moved out. The CCTV cameras outside his cell seem to have been broken. The two prison guards who were supposed to check on him every half hour fell asleep at the same time and miraculously woke up at the same time. Results of the autopsy were withheld, and it was later that week that the chief medical examiner announced that Jeffrey Epstein had committed suicide. In the process of hanging himself, his hypo bone was broken. Now, the hypoid bone is a U-shaped bone in the neck, which supports the tongue. Breaking of this bone occurs in 27% of suicides by hanging, but usually when there is a longer drop or applying force. This bone is broken, however, in 50% of homicide cases by strangulation. A forensic pathologist hired by the Epstein family said that the signs point to homicide and not suicide, citing specific fractures in the neck and the hemorrhage around Epstein's eyes. Though not unheard of, it is uncommon. Conspiracy theories around Epstein's death circulated. Old friends of Epstein, Donald Trump and Bill Clinton accused each other of murder. Others blamed Mossad and the CIA, the MI6 and the Saudis, and MBS, Russia, FSB. Were Clinton and Trump actually accusing each other? I remember Republicans saying, oh, the Clintons are involved, and the Democrats saying, oh, yeah, Trump's definitely involved. Trump retweeted some conspiracy theories. Of course he did. Of course. Epstein was immensely wealthy, though nobody knows for sure where his money came from. Literally two days before he died, he signed his will of almost $600 million, which includes his properties of $180 million for his mansion, $56 million in cash, his collection of boats, 
planes, cars worth over $18 million, and his art collection that has yet to be valued. A year and a half after his death, we now have a bitter court fight between the top law enforcement official in the U.S. Virgin Islands, Denise and George, and the two men that Mr. Epstein chose to oversee his estate worth once over $600 million. And now they're arguing over how much of Epstein's fortune is going to go to his remaining victims. After months of quiet hostilities, Denise and George accused the executors of mismanaging the estate when they couldn't come up with more money for an independent victim's compensation fund. The executors, Darren Indyke and Richard Kahn, said it was partially her fault because the estate was having trouble raising cash. The fight escalated. Miss George said the two men were tying up the purse strings, had not merely been Mr. Epstein's longtime business associates, but for years enabled his sexual abuse of teenage girls. The estate lawyers say they plan to fairly distribute the money to dozens of women who have accused Epstein of sexually abusing them as teenagers. But the Attorney General of the U.S. Virgin Islands says Epstein's money is still buying silence. Okay, so quote, The estate has found its way to pay for lawyers, landscaping, and helicopter fees, but not the brave women who stepped forward to participate in the compensation fund. That's according to the U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General. Epstein's New York mansion sold recently for $51 million, and those funds will be going to the victims. By September 22nd, it was reported by the Sunday Times that British intelligence chiefs are concerned that Russia may have obtained compromising material on Prince Andrew over the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. So compromat is compromising information that is collected for blackmailing, discrediting, and manipulating someone for political purposes. So now British intelligence are worried that Russia has information that could incriminate Prince Andrew in this Jeffrey scandal. I don't know why they're still protecting him. I mean, I don't know. And why are they using Meghan Markle and Prince Harry as a scapegoat to distract from everything? I mean, this uh, this whole thing was just a mess. I mean, a mess isn't even the right word. I don't even know the word for this, but... For somebody as dodgy as Epstein and Prince Andrew still having this unwavering loyalty versus, I I, I don't get it. Okay, so to summarize on where we are now, Jeffrey Epstein is dead of an apparent suicide. Ghislaine Maxwell has been arrested. Prince Andrew says he's going to cooperate with any investigation, but has not yet at all. And the royal family is just protecting him. That's pretty much where we're at at this point. So writing and researching this episode was heavy, and I didn't want to focus on Epstein. However, reading what he has done in Ghislaine and how people are still protecting him, I wanted to at least speak out and bring awareness. If you want more information on Epstein or this topic, there's the Netflix series, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, or another podcast, The Prince and the Pervert, by two Australian women who have been following these events for the past two years. For this episode, we'd like to spotlight and support the nonprofit organization founded by Virginia Gaffray. Her mission is to put an end to modern day slavery, one survivor at the time. VictimsRefuseSilence.org. The links will be in the show notes. Madam's Hose and Gigolos is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and check us out on Instagram at Madams, Hose, and Gigolos. Or check out our Amazon wish list. You can find that in the show notes. Thanks for listening.